Well, I, I know I talked to a few of you and just know that uh, you know me well enough. Those of you that know me know that uh, this morning is not an easy morning for any of us. Um, it's sometimes hard for me to keep my emotions in check. Uh, but, you know, as I, the last, a few weeks ago, I started a kind of a final series with you guys and just, I shared and asked, asked in that first week of the series of my prayers for the church. Um, I asked some of you to talk about some of the things you pray for with your, about your kids. Like, how do you pray for your kids? And some of you talked about praying for their physical needs and their emotional needs and that they come to faith in Christ and their spiritual needs. And there were a lot of specific things that were mentioned. And I, I, my hope was it could kind of help you see that when you read through the New Testament and you read the Apostle Paul's words to the churches that he ministered to, some of the churches he planted, uh, some he came alongside and helped grow. You read these, the, I mean, the, the, much of what we have in the New Testament are letters from Paul to these churches. And, and often there are prayers and, and, and you see the relationship, you see the affection that they have. And I remember as I was preparing after 15 and a half years to leave McKeesport, PA, I remember that that took new light. Or I had just, I, I saw that new way. Collectively, collectively as a church, but there's an individual emphasis that each of you grow in Christ. That it's not just enough to come to faith in Christ, but that Christ calls you to come and to follow him, to go deep in a relationship with him, grow in intimacy and fellowship with him. We talked about walking in unity, such an important piece that we've talked about in recent, in the last year, just with all the things in our culture that try to divide us. And that we need to have such a clear focus on Christ and his kingdom that we can agree to disagree on things that are not critical so that we can proclaim the, the hope that we find in Christ. And today we're talking about that third prayer is that, that you as a church continue to engage in Christ's mission. And, and again, that you as a church and collectively that you stay focused on the mission of Christ to not only support our missionaries and, and the work that is being done over the world, but that, that you are a lighthouse right here in Warren and continue to serve this community and, and share the hope of Christ to this community. You know, those of you that have heard me preach many times, you'll know that none of those three themes are new. And I, what I've found in my, in my own life is that when I've sat under different pastors or read certain preachers and teachers, that most pastors and most preachers and teachers have certain themes that are kind of the central part of their ministry. I know I've often quoted from John uh, Piper, and uh, you read any book by John Piper, he's going to talk about his, what he sees as his central purpose in, in his ministry, that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. That theme is in every one of his books. And he, I've heard him say that he's written basically the same book multiple times, coming from different angles. Um, and, and I know you've experienced that. If you've, if you've had the privilege of sitting under different pastors, you know that certain pastors had certain themes. And I, and I realize that 
one of the themes that's been a central part of the last 25 years for me. is to understand that Christ does not just call us to him. He calls us to his mission. And if you've caught anything from me in my time here, I I pray that you have a renewed desire to go deeper into your relationship with Jesus, but understand that no matter how deep you go with Jesus, it's always in the same relationship of, of also bearing witness to Christ to the world. And I, I shared that first week when we talked about um, growing in Christ, the, that scripture from Matthew four nineteen, And these were Jesus' words when he called some of his first disciples that were fishermen. And he, and he called, told them, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And, and there's two callings there. The follow me, that's come to Jesus, become, I mean, it's an invitation to let Jesus be our rabbi, our teacher, our master, so that he would direct us, that he'll shape our lives. But it's always connected with that second purpose as well, so that you can be a fisher of men. And, and we've talked about that before, going from Abraham all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, that God, when he calls people, it's never just about our relationship with God. It's always about God using us to be a part of his mission in the world. And today I'm really praying that each of you, if you don't know the answer to the question of how you specifically play a part in that mission, I pray that today that you'll take the time to really think and reflect about what is your role, what is your part to play in engaging in Christ's mission. Because if there's anything I've seen in talking to other pastors as well over the 25 years I've worked in church ministry, is often there are a lot of people that like to be a part of a church, even members of a church, that focuses on mission, that does the right things, not only in supporting the mission of Christ overseas, but making a difference in their own community. But I've often seen a difference between those who want to be a part of a church like that and those who want to be a part of the work. To be a part of it, to say, it's not, just gonna, it's not something I can sit back and not be in, a part of or engage with, that I have to personally find my part, my role, my place in the life of the church and its ministry and mission to the world. I shared a few weeks ago the poem that impacted me early in my ministry because I I often found early in my ministry that there were a lot of people who understood the call to come and follow Christ, but they weren't living a life of mission. And Samuel Shoemaker, who was an Episcopal priest in Pittsburgh for many years ago, uh, I've shared his definition of evangelism that I still hold and and that I appreciate. He he said his definition of evangelism was one one beggar telling another beggar where they can find bread. And, and that's something that has stuck with me. But he, he also wrote a poem called I Stand at the Door. And I shared this with you a few weeks ago that related to the growing in Christ, but also the engaging in mission. Because he was, he was motivated to understand that there were many people in the church that were not embracing the mission. And so he wrote these words. He said, I stand by the door. I neither go too far in or stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. There is no use, there is no use my going in, way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. 
and all, and, and all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched groping hands, feeling for the door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand at the door. That's only one of the verses. And I, and I talked about the fact that, you know, that poem really, I appreciate the fact that it's kind of a pendulum swing, like a correction. Like that if, if the church is, is filled with people who are, are focused on their own relationship with God but not embracing the mission that Christ has given us, he's, he's highlighting that, that role of standing at the door and helping people who don't know Christ come to find who Christ is so that they can enter the door. Over the years, in, as I've reflected on this, I realized that it kind of, this poem also though creates a false dichotomy. Because going deep in your relationship with Jesus is not at odds with embracing the mission of Christ. If, if we're truly following after Christ and embracing him and going deeper in your relationship with him, his mission will be a part of that. And I, the image in my mind is that it's two wings of, of a plane. A plane doesn't fly very well with both wings. And in the Christian life, if we focus only on nurturing a relationship with Jesus and we neglect the mission that Christ has called us to, we're going to be out of balance. And, and so today, we're going to focus on the, if you missed a few weeks ago, you can go back and listen to that message about going deeper in your relationship with Jesus, the first prayer that I have for each of you. But today, as we focus on the, the third part of this prayer is that we pray that each I pray that each of you personally engage in Christ's mission. I just want us to take a moment just to re- look at the scriptures again to remind ourselves what the mission is, some examples of, of people from the scripture who lived a life of purpose, and and then hopefully end with you doing some soul searching to say what am I doing, and, and hopefully give you some practical ideas and some steps that you can take in personally engaging in Christ's mission. First, that question of what is Christ's mission? And we're going to look at three scriptures, but uh, one of the scriptures that I think is critical is John 20, 21. These are some of Jesus' final words with his disciples. He said this, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Is the Father sent the Son into the world, and, and Jesus came, the Word became flesh. What we celebrate at Christmas, that, that the God the Father sent the Son, and that the Word became flesh and lived among us. In the same way the Father sent the Son, Jesus is looking at the disciples, not only those in that room, but he's looking at each one of us and says, so I'm sending you. And, and so we have to look in our lives and realize that if we're following Christ, We've been given that same call to go and make fish, to become fishers of men. Jesus is sending us into the world to represent him. Acts 1.8, Jesus' final words recorded in, in uh, the book of Acts before he ascends to heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Shortly after, the Holy Spirit falls on the church, and the church is birthed. And the purpose, based on one eight, verse or 8 of chapter 1 of Acts, the purpose of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church was so that we could bear witness to Christ. 
in our Jerusalem. That the Jerusalem is where we live, our, our most immediate community. Our Judea, the surrounding communities, our Samaria, we're willing to cross racial lines and cross ethnic lines and, and cultural lines to the ends of the earth. We're willing to go or pray and support those who go. We have a responsibility to bear witness at each of those places. And growing up in the, in the Alliance, I actually have talked to many people that I know that left the Alliance early in my ministry that they struggled because they saw the ch- their churches that they were part of when they were kids as being so focused on foreign missions and not doing anything in their own community. And, and they were reacting to that. And I, and I remember having conversations saying, well, you know, it's not an either or. It's a both and. We have a responsibility to, to pray and to give and support. And, and you as a church have, have demonstrated this to this community, that you're serious about mission. You're not only serious in, in that you give and that you pray, but you're even willing to send your own. And that is such a privilege for a church to have some of their own serving, whether it's in Russia or Senegal or wherever it might be, that when we are able to partner with our own and send them, we're, we're living out Acts 1.8. But as we pray and as we give and, and we send, we also represent Christ and we bear witness to Christ wherever we are. Matthew 28.19-20, the Great Commission says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We've looked at this many times. And and the fact that if, if you've gone through the membership class, you know that I ask, what's the main verb? There's one primary verb in this passage. And then there's three, if you like English. If you don't like English, it's still true. It's, there's one primary command and there's three participles that are underneath that one command. The one command is make disciples. And we do that by going, by baptizing, by teaching. These words to the disciples are for every one of us. And being a part of the Christian Mission Alliance, we understand that, that we have a responsibility and if we're ever going to fulfill this commission, it's going to take every one of us doing our part. Every one of us doing our part to make disciples, to go, not only go and bear witness to Christ, but actively invest in people that they not only come to faith in Christ, that they know Christ, but you can help them be grounded in their faith and grow and become a part of a family, a church family, and grow in their relationship with Christ. That's, that's a responsibility we each have. Reality is, and I think I have this on the next screen, is that every follower of Jesus Christ has been sent into the world to bear witness to Christ and to make disciples. If you're taking notes, underline every follower. Too often we look at the Great Commission as only relating to the pastor or missionary, but it's to every disciple. We're all to be disciples who are making disciples. We're all to be going out and living as witnesses. We're all sent, just like we send missionaries around the world, we all have been sent to represent Christ, to make disciples wherever he has you. Some of the translations actually emphasize uh, the first part of the Great Commission, say, as you go, make disciples. 
as you're going about your daily life, as you're going about your life, live the focus of, of telling people about Jesus, inviting people into a relationship with Jesus, to know what it's like to not only have their sins forgiven, but to know God's presence through Christ living in our hearts and our lives. Taking seriously the responsibility that we have, every follower, of going out into the world to represent him, to bear witness to Christ and make disciples. But this is where I want to ask you is, it's not enough to find a church that does these things. I want to ask you, what are you doing? What are you doing personally that connects your purpose of why God has you where you are right now? How is that connected to the mission of Christ? Because every one of us have that responsibility to live that life. And it's not just a responsibility, it's a privilege. Jim and I were talking this week about just how often people just fail to even just talk about Jesus in the community. When you're, when you're talking to people, I mean, if, if Jesus is impacting your life, you don't, have to give a theolo- you don't have to have a theological education, a master's degree or whatever education, to just tell people about who Jesus is to you and what Jesus has done in your life. Share the hope of Christ. Talk about what Jesus has done in your life. And I want to think, as we think about that question, and as you reflect on that question of how you personally are connected to this mission, what your part to play, I want you to think, of, think through some examples. And first, we're going to look at David. A scripture that's been reflected, I've been reflecting on all week. Acts 13.36 says, for David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. The latter part of that verse, you kind of think that's a little odd. I mean, the, the reality is, is this is Paul speaking in Antioch. He, he's speaking in the, in the middle of his message. He, he's making a point. He's quoting from Psalm 16. And he's making the point and highlighting the fact that Jesus, Jesus' physical body never was corrupted. He's talking about the resurrection. And he's comparing Jesus who rose again, whose body did not see decay, and David whose body saw corruption. In quoting from Psalm 16. But in the midst of this theological emphasis and highlighting the resurrection of Christ, in this statement about David is an incredibly profound statement of how David lived his life. And I believe it's a model of how every one of us, if we're going to connect with Christ and his mission and personally fulfill, the, fulfill what he wants us to do with our life, I think it would, wouldn't hurt us to take a moment to reflect on David. Because David, it says, that after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his father's. He fulfilled God's purpose for his generation and then he died. These words remind us that we all have one life to live. Every one of us has one life to live and we're going to have to give an account to that life. And I want to ask you, are you making your life count for the kingdom of God? Are we making our lives count for the kingdom? Are we doing our part in letting Christ be known in our community and, and to, to those who don't know the hope of Christ that we're pointing to them the hope that they can find in Jesus? 
David fulfilled his purpose. And, and as I thought about David, there were two things that came to my mind that were what God was telling me this week as I was reflecting on this. The two thoughts that stood out was one, if you look at David's life from his youth to his final years, his role changed. So this statement of that he fulfilled his purpose for God's purpose for him and then he died for his generation and then he died. I think it's important that we understand that his job, his technically his job changed. And yet no matter what David was doing, he was faithful. He was a faithful shepherd. He was a faithful warrior. And he was a faithful king. We know there was a moment of is not being faithful to go out and to lead as king, lead his soldiers in battle. And that'll lead to the second point. But, you know, it's important that we think about David and think about that, that David, David filled multiple roles in his life that were a part of God's purpose for him. I want to ask you, what role does God have for you to fill? Is that role changing? Maybe the reason I've been reflecting a lot on this is I realize as I've been trying to seek God's direction and, and following his leading, I'm realizing the specific way I fulfill the mission that Christ has given me is changing. As I transition from pastoral ministry to counseling, my, the role is changing, and yet God's call on my life is no different in the fact that God calls us to be faithful to what he calls you to do. And whether you're working in the bank, whether you're teaching, whether you're a pastor or missionary, carpenter, whatever your role is, we need to ask, or, or, there, there, God has a specific plan and purpose for you to bear witness to him wherever he has you doing whatever it is that he's called you to do. And I pray that you find that niche, that you would find the place that you know that you're fulfilling God's purpose. Some of you remember the movie from the 80s. More people remember the kind of making fun of it in the slow motion running, the Chariots of Fire. Do you remember that? I probably have I've talked to more people that know Chariots of Fire just because of the slow motion running scene and they've never seen the movie. If you've never seen the movie, rent it. It's worthwhile. And I just totally blanked on the name. Eric, Eric Little? Little? Say it again, Jim. Little, okay. Eric Little, the story tells about he's English and he's been preparing to go to the mission field, but he's an incredible runner. And in the story, there's a scene in the story where his sister is giving him, uh, I mean, she's really confronting him and saying, what, what are you doing this running for when God has called you to the mission field? Why are you delaying leaving for the mission field to do this running? And, and, and any of you have seen this movie? Some of you? Okay. His response to his sister, he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. He knew that he had an opportunity in being faithful to that moment and that he eventually went to the mission field. But he, his story has impacted people for years of his faithfulness to Christ and, and not running on Sunday, which was a conviction that he had, and then later running in a separate event and, and winning. He understood 
in that statement that when I run, I feel God's pleasure, that God had called him, God had gifted him with a specific plan and purpose. God made him fast, and he used it for God's glory. Going back to David, the other thing I want you to think about is David, we, we looked a few weeks ago at, look at the call of David. We know David, compared to Saul, he wasn't as big, he wasn't as strong. David was far from perfect, and he had shortcomings. And later we see the stories of his failings, his sin, and his failure. And yet, whether it was the beginning when he didn't fit the mold of what many would have said should have been Israel's king, or whether it was later in his life when he had his failings and and the sin with Bathsheba, no matter what, whether it was his limitations or his later sin and failure. It didn't keep him from doing what God had called him to do. And, and we have to look at our, our own lives. I want to ask you, have you allowed your shortcomings and your limitations to keep you from doing something God has called you to do? I've, I've talked to people over the years that they have, a, they have a pretty good sense of what God might be calling them to, but they're scared. They don't feel like they can fulfill the job, like Moses. They don't feel like they can speak for God or whatever the the excuse that they might give. We have to be willing to overlook our own shortcomings, our own limitations, and do what God has called us to do because He will. Get, if he calls you, he will equip you. But then there's also that second part of David's story of, of his failure. And David demonstrates a a repentant heart. When confronted by the prophet Nathan, a repentant heart and coming back and and continuing to fulfill his responsibility as king. I've talked to so many people over the years that have said, well, God could never use me because you just don't, you don't know what my life has been. Whatever you might consider your failures and your, your missteps, If you're willing to give those things to God, repent, give those things to him, he will use them to help you be an effective witness for him. Some things that to remember with relation to that is one, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul said, uh, he said, but he said to me, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest in me. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Being aware of our own weaknesses and our own limitations, our own failures, can give us an opportunity to declare the power of Christ to redeem and to heal. There's power in sharing our stories of brokenness. There's power in sharing our story of how God redeemed us, how God worked in our hearts and our own lives. And I know personally in the last few years, I've had people come to me that I've like, well, you really want to talk to me about these issues? And I've found that me sharing my own stories of pain and brokenness has opened up doors to talk to people that I didn't expect. But the question is, are we, willing, are we going to dwell on our failures or are we going to move forward and let God use every part of our lives, bear witness to him?
Paul understood this. He understood this and he understood his calling. And in Acts 20, 24, he made this statement. He says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul considered his life is worth, it was worth the risk to risk his life to fulfill the purpose that God had given him. He understood his purpose and he pursued it despite the risk of his life to testify, to proclaim the gospel of God's grace. Moving from David to Paul, I want you to think about some modern examples. Some modern examples of people who gave their life to follow Christ and to make him known. I mean, first on my list is Billy Graham. Billy Graham is widely respected by people across the board. People that didn't agree with anything that he said, but they still had respect for the man. Some of you can think of well-known evangelists or preachers or, or writers that, that, that gave an example of, of, of fulfilling the purpose of Christ in their life. But, you know, for me, when I think about those stories, one of my favorite examples of people that understood their purpose in life are names that apart, unless you remember me mentioning them before, you didn't know them. And that was Jack and Betty uh, Hill. They were my dad's youth directors in the Little Methodist Church many years ago. They became surrogate spiritual grandparents to me and my two siblings and a whole list of others in, back in Clearfield. <clears throat> they, were, they were people who worked in their church. They volunteered. They worked with the youth for years. And when... Jack retired from the Sears store in Clearfield. They made the commitment to go every summer to a summer camp. Uh, the, the Jacobs Brothers, it was the old gospel group. I know Liz, you know the Jacobs Brothers. We had them here a few years ago. They're still singing. <laughs> um, but, you know, they have a camp down, in the, and they bring a lot of inner city youth in from Philadelphia. And so every summer, Jack and Betty, who were just two old, frail individuals by the time they were going and making this trip down, connecting with hard, hardened inner city youth. And they were like grandparents to them. And, and I, when I think of Jack and Betty, they, they gave their summers to this. So that was their retirement. They gave their summers to go and work at this camp to tell these inner city kids about Christ. They spent the entire off season, the fall and the winter, the spring, making crafts. That was their job. They technically were the craft directors at this camp, but their, their real ministry was pouring their lives into these young people and, and letting them know the hope of Christ. A few years before Jack, A few years before Jack passed, they, they spent their remaining years at the high rise down in Punxsutawney and I, there was a day I was in Punxsie, and I stopped to visit with them. And Jack, I mean, they both were frail. They, were, they weren't able to make the trips anymore. They were very limited in what they could do. Jack sat in the living room weeping over the teenagers that were hanging out in the front of the high-rise complex where they were living. And he's like, I just want to know how I can reach them. That's someone, you didn't know Jack and Betty Hill, but they made a difference for the kingdom. 
They've impacted my life. They've impacted many people's lives. And they're in the presence of Christ now, experiencing the fullness of the salvation that they proclaimed all those years. It's my prayer for each of you is that you find your place. For me, as I reflect on my life, I look back to when I was a student, as a youth pastor, as a pastor, as a chaplain, or as a counselor. No matter what my specific role, no matter what specific hat I might be wearing, Christ has called us to bear witness to him, to point people to people to the hope of Christ, and to make disciples. And I realize that while my vocation may be changing, my calling with regard to the gospel is not. But I do believe as God has refined my calling, he's given me a new awareness of, of people's brokenness, including my own. And it's my prayer that as I understand that everyone is broken, that I can help people find hope and healing in Jesus. So what about you? Just I'm going to leave you in this. I realize that we need two weeks for this message. So I'm going to very quickly go through some practical ideas. And these are all things you've heard, you've heard from me before. And I tried to collate these together. But I want you to think, as, as we think about this responsibility that every one of us has been sent and that we are to bear witness to Christ and make disciples, I just want to give you some practical ideas. And you look first is that we need to be present with people who need the hope of Christ. If you stay, if you all stay in the walls of the church and never understand that the ministry takes place outside of the walls of the church, you're going to miss this opportunity. You need to be building relationships with people that need Jesus. You need to be in proximity. You need to be close enough to be present with them. You need to listen to people's stories and discover their needs. I am convinced that the greatest tool we have for evangelism is not our mouth, but it's our ears. If we listen to people, if we hear their hearts, hear their concerns, hear their needs, hear their stories, then God will give you the words to point to the hope that they can find in Jesus. We need to pray for opportunities to share Christ in word and action. We need to bless our neighbors. I, I'm going to miss my neighbor. I have a, a, a little lady that lives next to me that um, goes to Holy Redeemer, and we've, we've had great conversations over the years about prayer, about life, and a lot of different things. But I know she, she came over to see me the last day I was at the house, and she said how much she was going to be missed. And then she added, she said, I don't know, who's going to clean out my driveway? Look for things in your neighborhood that you can do to bless people. Bless your neighbors. Volunteer in the community. Find an interest or a need that you want to be a part of. She'd be upset if I singled her out, but I'm going to do it anyways. Linda Russell, a master gardener. She uses her gardening to serve in this community. Not just she does a great job with stuff around this church building, but she also uses that skill in the community. At the House of Hope. I believe it's the House of Hope. Volunteer. Find a place to serve. And, and then remember, serving in the church and part of our ministry as a church, I know that the leadership of this church is committed to make sure that you're doing everything that is needed as a church 
to bear, be a witness to this community for Christ. So if, if you serve in the nursery, if you serve in, in teaching or working with the trustees and taking care of the building, whatever the specific role that you might fill, fulfill, it's an opportunity for you to serve not just the life of this church, but to, to serve the mission of this church and bearing witness to Christ in this community. Last couple, bear witness to, at work. And I want to look at what I put in parentheses because I've heard horror stories of people that were really public about their faith and they were horrible employees. That does more damage than good. If you're going to take let your workplace be your mission field, you better be a good employee. Have a be the hardest worker. Be someone who's going to give it all to fulfill the job that you have. But then look at the opportunities that you can be a witness at work in your work ethic, in your character, but also the compassion you have for your coworkers. And then the last piece, Benoit shared uh, a couple weeks ago, is that it's the whole experiencing God principle. Look where God is working and then join him. Try to find where God is working around you and join him. When you pray those type of prayers, God will lead you to the places where you need to be so that you can be a witness to Jesus and that you can be a part of making disciples and be a part of engaging in the mission of Christ in this world. You pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray for each person that's hearing this message and for those all that are a part of this church family. And Lord, I just pray that we, each one of us would really be willing to examine our hearts and our lives to, to know very clearly our part to play in fulfilling the mission of Christ to this community and to the world. Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart and a passion, a burden for something. To use whatever gifts you've given us, Lord, to proclaim the hope of Christ in this community. Lord, I just pray that this church would continue to grow deep in Christ, that they would be, walk in unity to set aside differences and, and walk in unity together and that they would engage in the mission of Christ of bearing witness to you and making disciples in this community and throughout the world. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for the privilege. I thank you for the privilege of pastoring this congregation. And I just pray for the future of the leadership of this church, Lord, that you would empower the leadership of this church by your Holy Spirit Lord, that you would continue to bless this congregation so that it might be a blessing to the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been asked to let Jim come up at this time. <laughs>